Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome to the seminar at the Hamilton Institute. It's a pleasure for me to introduce uh, Sergei Sergeev from the University of Birmingham, who's visiting here this week. Sergei is well known for his work on matrices over the max algebra, and that's what he's going to talk about this afternoon, periodicity of matrix powers in max algebra. Uh, okay, so uh, thank you, Steve. Uh, so actually, uh, uh, I'm going to talk about a certain event uh, happening to the matrix powers in this uh, strange science called max algebra, which uh, I don't know whether you have heard about. But if you haven't, I will introduce you to it. And um, I managed to gather um, a good team of uh, researchers working on this topic. So in particular, uh, this research is uh, shared with uh, uh, a really old professor, Hans Schneider, who um, did his first works with uh, Ostrovsky and uh, is uh, much more uh, known for uh, various other contributions in linear algebra and he's founder, co-founder of uh, International Linear Algebra Society, got interested in max algebra recently and um, uh, two of my young friends uh, whom I met in France, uh, Glenn Merlet who works in uh, the University of Marseille and uh, Thomas Novak uh, whom I met when I had a postdoc in Ecole Polytechnique. Uh, and um, so, yes, um, so cyclicity in max algebra is just the other name for the uh, same thing. So what is max algebra? Uh, it is actually a kind of non-negative algebra uh, where you have uh, the same multiplication but addition is different. So you replace the usual addition by uh, taking maximum of uh, two numbers. And uh, then uh, with these uh, two operations uh, uh, the same uh, laws of associativity, commutativity, distributivity uh, that you have in the usual algebra continue to hold. And uh, therefore we can work over this uh, thing which is called semi-ring or semi-field. And so then uh, these arithmetic operations are extended in the usual way to matrices and vectors uh, so that if you, can, if you have two matrices of appropriate sizes then you can add them now in max algebra uh, using the uh, max algebra arithmetic and uh, multiply them again using the same kind of arithmetic and uh, so the topic of uh, the topic of my talk here uh, is the behavior of max algebraic powers so uh, the behaviors of the behavior of powers taken in this uh, uh, max algebra setting uh, so, uh, let us uh, just uh, make uh, a simple experiment and uh, take a non-negative matrix of uh, dimension 2 by 2 um, so that it is uh, 0 0.8, uh, 0 0.9, the 1, 1, right? Um, yeah. And uh, so then, uh, let's raise it to the second power according to the max algebra arithmetic. And so what we will get uh, is, um, so uh, we multiply the first row by the first column, so we multiply 0 0.8 by 0 0.8, 
and uh, the next term is multiplication of one by one, and it dominates. Because instead of addition, we need to take max, and uh, we obtain this for the first diagonal entry. So uh, for the entry 1, 2, uh, we have to multiply the first row uh, by the second column, right? And uh, so um, the first term is uh, 0 0.8, um, and uh, the second term is 0 0.9. So taking maximum, we get 0 0.9. And uh, here we get uh, 0 0.9 and 1. Yeah. Uh, so uh, now, uh, if we take the third power of this matrix, if we take the third power of this matrix, third, uh, so uh, then it amounts to multiplying uh, this matrix uh, by uh, this matrix, uh, and uh, what we get, if I'm not uh, mistaken, uh, is just uh, 0 0.9, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be 0 0.9 because we are multiplying 0 0.81 by 1 0 0.9. Uh, so it's 0 0.8 plus 0 0.9 is 0 0.9. And uh, we get uh, 0 0.9 for the entry, for the second diagonal entry, and we get 1, 1 uh, in the off-diagonal part. So it is uh, this kind of uh, matrix multiplication. And uh, so what will be the next powers? Uh, the next powers... Um, so uh, this is uh, this is the third power. This is uh, this is the second power. This is the third power, and uh, the fourth power will coincide with the second power, so that we will become periodic, and the fifth power will uh, coincide with the third power. So this uh, sequence of matrix powers will start to cycle. So it uh, looks very easy on this example, but uh, if we go to higher dimension, then uh, the uh, a transient of uh, this uh, periodicity will become greater. Uh, and uh, so, um, yes, at, at first we will not uh, understand what is going on. It will be rather chaotic. But in the end, uh, there will be periodic regime. So this is what is happening. From disorder, we come to order. It is a kind of nice feature about uh, Max algebra. Uh, so, uh, more generally what I'm talking about is an uh, uh, effect uh, which was discovered in the 80s uh, by the group working in France, uh, led by Guy Cohen. Uh, so they discovered that if uh, A matrix, non-negative matrix is irreducible, and um, a certain parameter called lambda of A is equal to 1, I will explain in a while what this parameter is. Uh, then the sequence of matrix powers is uh, ultimately periodic, meaning that uh, there is a large enough uh, threshold, T of A, and a period gamma, uh, such that uh, the sequence becomes periodic with that period after some time. So this is how it looks in general. And the natural question arises, how large this uh, transient uh, can be and how we can bound this transient. Uh, so, yes, before going to that slide, I actually uh, would uh, 
have to remind you that uh, so I'm using uh, the thing called associated digraph. So if we have a matrix, a non-negative matrix dimension uh, n by n, then we can associate to it a digraph g of a uh, consisting of vertices, consisting of vertices 1, so on n, and edges e. So uh, by edges, I just mean arrows. If uh, the ijth entry of A, uh, denoted by Aij, is non-zero, Aij is non-zero, then there is an edge connecting vertex i to vertex j. Right? And moreover, it has weight Aij. And uh, so there are also other nodes, other vertices, and uh, so we have edges between them with the weight equal to Aij whenever this uh, Aij is non-zero. And uh, naturally on this graph we have walks, so we can walk along this graph and we can make cycles, just uh, do whatever we want. Uh, and uh, for a walk, um, W, which uh, goes through the nodes i1, i2, so on, ik, uh, we can naturally define its weight as the product of the matrix entries along the walk and length, which is, uh, as usual, just the number of these nodes minus 1. And uh, so then the max algebraic matrix powers have a nice optimal walk sense. So the ijth entry uh, of the elth power of non-negative matrix uh, is, the greatest, is the greatest weight of a walk uh, which connects uh, node i to node j and has length l. So uh, we, it is an algebra which encodes this uh, optimization on graphs, actually. This is why it is nice. Uh, in max algebra, in general, we don't have subtraction. So, uh, with respect to maximum, you cannot define, easily define inverses and uh, this kind of thing. Uh, however, you can define the so-called Klinis star, which is uh, analog of uh, I minus A inverse. So, you just uh, take, just sum up all max algebraic matrix powers together with the identity matrix, with the usual identity matrix. And so this uh, formal series converges uh, if and only if there are no cycles uh, whose weight exceeds one. It's an optimization kind of thing. Um, and in this case, uh, the series can be even truncated uh, due to the finiteness of your graph, because the graph has n nodes, and uh, therefore um, um, any, any walk of length uh, n or greater will have a cycle and it will be subordinate to a shorter walk, have smaller weight than a shorter walk. Uh, so, um, and uh, then uh, the ijth entry of Klinis star, if uh, i is not equal to j, is the greatest weight of all walks connecting i to j now with no length restriction. And uh, so this is the optimal walk sense of the problem that we are looking at. So if you don't know max algebra, then 
we are actually uh, looking at uh, sequences of walks and uh, their weights. So it still makes sense. Um, now, what is the parameter lambda of A that had to, to be equal to 1 for the sequence of matrix powers to be periodic? It is actually uh, the maximum uh, taken over all cycles in the digraph, and uh, we're maximizing over uh, the so-called geometric means. So we take the weight of a cycle and uh, take uh, the lth root, where L is the length of the cycle. Um, so once you uh, perform this operation over all cycles in the digraph, you get this parameter lambda of A. So uh, though this seems quite complicated because the, the, the number of cycles in general is uh, very large, uh, there is a nice uh, often cubed CARPS algorithm for computing this lambda of A. So this uh, lambda of A is computationally tractable and uh, can be easily programmed. Uh, so the operation of taking maximum cycle geometric mean is homogeneous and therefore any matrix with uh, lambda of A non-zero can be normalized to the form uh, when the sequence of uh, matrix powers will be ultimately periodic. Right. Uh, and um, so the cycles where lambda of A is attained are called critical, called critical, they're somehow the best cycles that we have, and the critical graph of A denoted uh, like this uh, consists of all nodes and edges which belong to critical cycles. And uh, in general, uh, the critical graph has several isolated strongly connected components. So this is uh, about all about the introduction. Yes, uh, we also have to define the cyclicity. So uh, the cyclicity of a strongly connected graph is defined as the greatest common divisor of the lengths of all cycles in that strongly connected graph. And if, as in the case of critical graph, uh, we consist of several isolated uh, strongly connected components, then we also have to take the least common multiple of this. So this is the parameter called cyclicity, and it is, uh, has strong relation to the periodicity in Max algebra that I'm going to talk about. Uh, so, but uh, before looking at the uh, Max algebraic periodicity, let's look at the so-called Boolean transients. So uh, Boolean, in the Boolean transients, we just look at a strongly connected D graph, G, uh, to which we uh, associate it is uh, here it's un unweighted and uh, to that G we associate uh, matrix A uh, just uh, this uh, this uh, connection is just like here um, only that uh, this matrix A has uh, just entry 0 if uh, there is no edge from I to J and entry 1 if there is an edge uh, from I to J and, and um, so then we um, take the matrix powers with respect to Boolean arithmetic, but actually it's the same as Max algebra arithmetic. Uh, and, uh, and then it's uh, well known that the sequence of uh, uh, these graph powers uh, or the uh, uh, sequence of uh, powers of Boolean matrices is ultimately periodic, and uh, the period is exactly 
the cyclicity of the strongly connected graph whose powers we are taking, right? And uh, in the, the bounds for the uh, periodicity of uh, this sequence uh, are also well known and uh, the greatest role is played by the so-called Villant number. Uh, so Villant number of n is uh, n minus 1 squared plus 1. Um, actually, uh, this topic is much older than Max algebra. Uh, it is uh, related to the usual algebra. When you look at non-negative matrix, uh, you uh, power it up, and uh, you are not interested in the magnitude of entries, but uh, just where it is zero and where it is non-zero. And uh, then it is uh, just described by this uh, model. So uh, what kind of bounds do we have for the ultimate periodicity of the sequence of uh, graph powers? So um, I have written four bounds here. Actually, of course, we have more. Uh, but uh, these are somehow, uh, um, I, I like them most. So we have the Villain's bound. Uh, we have also the so-called Dalmage-Mendelssohn bound, where the parameter called girth is used. And uh, girth is the smallest length of a cycle belonging to the digraph. Uh, so if uh, this, the strongly connected digraph that we are talking about has a non-trivial cyclicity, uh, then, uh, the, then uh, these uh, first two bounds also hold, uh, but uh, they also can be improved um, because uh, instead of taking the villant number of n, uh, we can perform division of n by sigma and take the villant number of n by sigma, multiply by sigma, and uh, then add the, the rem remainder modulo sigma. So uh, this Schwarz's bound is of the um, is of the order n squared divided by sigma. It is better than bound of Willand. And we can do the same trick with uh, dalmage Mendelssohn. And uh, this is how Kim obtained his bound. And uh, so, moreover, uh, we can further improve uh, the bound if the associated Boolean matrix has a non-trivial factor rank. And uh, factor rank is the least number r such that uh, the matrix uh, can be represented as the sum of r uh, rank 1 uh, matrices in Boolean algebra. And so if we have uh, factor rank r, then in the Villand number n can be replaced by r uh, on the cost of adding plus 1, and dalmage mendelssohn bound can be replaced analogously. Just uh, we replace n by r and add 1. Uh, so now, uh, actually, in Max algebra, um, as we have critical graph, uh, it is interesting uh, that not all entries uh, behave equally well with respect to the ultimate periodicity. The entries in the critical rows and columns of uh, matrix powers uh, become periodic uh, much faster. And uh, the bounds are similar to the um, um, strongly polynomial bounds that uh, I have shown to you. While the entries in the non-critical part are trickier. So, um, yes. So let's, so I'm talking about 
the critical part of the matrix now, uh, which is in the critical rows and critical columns. So here somewhere is the uh, critical graph. Yes, and uh, this is the non-critical matrix B, which uh, I'm not talking about so far. So uh, the critical transients. Uh, Naktigal in the end of 90s observed uh, that uh, the critical rows and columns of uh, max algebraic matrix powers become periodic at, uh, um, um, at most at n squared. And so this has led us with Hans Schneider to conjecture that uh, this actually happens already after the villains number. And uh, so uh, then we managed to obtain uh, the analogs of all the four bounds that I have written above. So we have analogs of uh, Wieland, Dalmach Mendelssohn, Schwartz, and Kim for this part of the max algebraic matrix powers. So uh, we have Wieland of n, so n minus 1 squared plus 1. We have Dalmach Mendelssohn where the girth of the associated graph is replaced by the girth of the critical component to which k belongs. Um, we have Schwartz, and uh, we also have analog of Kim, right? And uh, moreover, in Max algebra, you can also introduce the factor rank, uh, where actually I have, an, have a mistake in this slide. So actually, it's not Boolean. So the vectors here, uh, which take part in this representation are not Boolean. They are just uh, non-negative. So it is the least number R such that A can be represented as maximum of rank one uh, matrices actually in the usual algebra. Because uh, this multiplication doubt has a time sign it is usual. It is the usual outer product of uh, the column vector with the row vector. Uh, so uh, with this uh, notion of factor rank, uh, we can obtain the uh, analogs of the bounds on uh, factor rank, uh, where we just replace n by r as before and add 1. Um, so yes, now uh, we are going uh, to describe the cyclicity of the whole matrix, not only of the critical part, but also of the non-critical part. Uh, so, what is the uh, trick here? So, uh, let us consider uh, this matrix, it's just a 2 by 2 matrix, uh, where the critical graph is just the loop 1, 1. So that uh, 1, 1 is the only critical entry. And uh, the first column is critical, while the second column is non-critical. Uh, so here the bounds uh, that uh, I have given to you on the slides before uh, describe the periodicity in the first row and the first column. However, we don't know, so far we don't know anything about the periodicity of the uh, second diagonal entry of the sequence of uh, Max algebraic matrix powers of this matrix. And it turns out uh, that the transient of non-critical part uh, depends on the entries. So uh, the transient of this uh, sequence uh, is just explicitly minus 2 log logarithm of epsilon 
where epsilon is a1 to a21. Uh, so, uh, what can we do here? Uh, let us introduce the CSR construction, which we have invented with uh, Hans Schneider some years ago. Uh, so, let gamma be the cyclicity of the critical graph, and uh, let us first raise A, max algebraically, to the power gamma, and uh, take the Krini star of it. Uh, then, let C be the matrix of columns, of uh, A gamma star with indices in the critical graph. Let R be the matrix of rows of A gamma star with indices in the critical graph. And uh, less, let S be um, uh, let S be the matrix which is uh, defined like this. So um, Sij is Aij in the case of critical entry and uh, zero in the case of non-critical entry. It can be observed that S is actually diagonally similar. There exists a diagonal, diagonal similarity scaling, which brings uh, S to the critical matrix, that is, to the associated matrix of the critical graph. And uh, so here is a diagram which shows to you that we take a gamma star. Uh, this is uh, how matrices C and R are formed. And matrix S is diagonally similar to the associated matrix of the critical graph. And uh, so then uh, the cyclicity theorem, uh, which was proved in the 80s, uh, takes the following form. Uh, that uh, we can uh, express uh, the periodic regime of max algebraic matrix powers explicitly in terms of CSR. Um, Yes, and uh, so uh, then uh, a natural question is on the uh, work theoretic sense of uh, CSR. So what is the optimal work sense? Uh, it turns out that uh, CSTRIJ is actually the greatest weight of a work which connects uh, I to J and uh, has length T modulo gamma. And so the picture, picture is given here, so that we have node i, node j, and uh, it somehow goes through a critical node. And um, on top of that, the length of this walk has to be equal to t uh, modulo gamma, where t is the parameter of the CSR term, CSTR. And uh, so um, actually there is also another observation that uh, instead of taking the whole critical graph, you could actually uh, take a subgraph of the critical graph. Um, and uh, particularly useful are the representing graphs. That is uh, such that uh, uh, a subgraph G is called representing if each component of the critical graph contains a component of G, exactly one. And then if we define the C, S, and R terms from that uh, representing graph, then uh, it is the same as the usual CSR construction. So, but uh, this is a bit specific, of course. And uh, so what is the idea of weak CSR representation? So uh, it is that uh, before we have that AT is equal to CSTR, we have an intermediate form that uh, there is a transient which we denote by T1 of AB, and which is the minimal uh, time T 
uh, after which uh, AT is uh, lambda TCSTR plus uh, BT, where BT is a kind of non-critical, uh, well, B is kind of non-critical uh, submatrix and uh, BT is its power. And then the periodic regime actually starts when uh, this uh, CSR terms term dominates over BT. And uh, this gives rise to T2. So that uh, uh, actually uh, we need to bound uh, T of A as the, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm saying minimum here, it should be maximum. So a maximum of T1 of AB and uh, T2 of AB. Um, so uh, my initial idea uh, was to find the common ground for uh, several papers on the periodicity of max algebraic powers, uh, which already exist in the literature. So a very respected uh, work by Hartmann and Argelis, they were applied people, and also in that paper you can uh, feel the spirit of applications of uh, max algebra in uh, optimization or in discrete event systems. Um, uh, then there is a work of uh, Akian Gobert and Walsh, uh, uh, which uh, actually investigate the infinite dimensional uh, matrices and uh, their powers and uh, spectral theory. Uh, there is um, a PhD thesis where an entire chapter is uh, devoted to uh, this um, topic of uh, Max algebraic matrix transients. And it is done in Delft. Uh, where actually uh, the applications of Max Plus to Dutch railway uh, system have been pursued. And uh, a recent uh, nice theoretical work of uh, my friend Thomas Nowak with his uh, supervisor Bernadette Sharon-Bost, which is on archive. And uh, so you can take a look at uh, these sources if you find uh, my talk um, not enough. Um, so, uh, which uh, CSR schemes can we use? So, the most uh, primitive, primitive scheme is called Nachtigall. Uh, Nachtigall is a German word for nightingale, but uh, it is the name of one of the first researchers on the topic. Uh, so, at, at first, we find a critical graph, and uh, we compute the maximum cyclogeometric mean lambda of A, and all the terms uh, C, S, and R. And uh, after that, we zero them out, and uh, this is the uh, non-critical submatrix BM. And uh, so then we have that uh, AT equals to CSTR plus BNT for uh, T greater than or equal to T1, and uh, CSTR dominates over BNT for T greater than or equal to T2. Uh, Hartmann-Argelis scheme, suggested in the work of Hartmann-Argelis, is a bit trickier. So uh, it, is, it makes use of uh, certain diagonal similarity scaling, which is due to uh, my friend uh, Hans Schneider and his son Michael Schneider. Uh, so it says that for any irreducible matrix A, uh, there is a positive vector x, such that the diagonal similarity scaling B, x minus 1 AX, uh, has uh, um, the following properties. Uh, first of all, it is, as they call it, max balanced. And uh, so max balancing means uh, that uh, you can divide the set of your nodes in two subsets in any way 
in any possible way and for any such cut the maximum the maximal weight of an edge that goes from one subset to the other to its uh, complement is equal to the greatest weight of an edge which goes back yes and so this is a, a concept of max balance max balancing it turns to be equivalent uh, to the so-called cycle cover property uh, that for each edge on the d graph uh, you can find a cycle where the weight of this uh, edge is the least it's the minimal weight and so uh, we use that for each irreducible matrix there exists such a scaling that brings it uh, to the max balanced form and so after we have this max balanced form we can define uh, threshold graphs so a threshold graph of um, corresponding to parameter mu uh, consists of all edges that um, are the weight uh, that have the weight uh, greater than or equal to mu and uh, then actually uh, the diagonal similarity scaling of uh, max balancing uh, is such that uh, the maximum cycle geometric mean is uh, automatically the greatest entry of the scaled matrix and uh, therefore uh, the threshold graph of lambda coincides with the critical graph of a so this is what we start with and as we decrease the value mu uh, the threshold graphs increase and uh, so let me um, uh, just show to you some funny pictures of how it happens so at first uh, when we have the maximum cycle geometric mean the threshold graph is just a critical graph of the matrix and uh, as we decrease mu uh, uh, the graph starts to increase so all components starts, start to increase so uh, at some value of mu we even may merge may see that some components have merged but this is not interesting to us an interesting event happens where when there appears a bubble there appears a bubble which uh, doesn't originate from the critical graph so there is a non-critical bubble and this is the value where we stop this is the value where we stop and uh, at, at this moment uh, we form the hartmann arguelles graph uh, as the from the components of the threshold graph uh, that contain some critical components so we discard the bubbles and we are left only with essential stuff essential stuff that contains the critical components so um, in terms of matrix this looks like this so we have critical graph and then the hartmann arguelles graph forms a kind of region of influence of that critical graph um, and we can zero out not only the rows and columns of critical graph but also all rows and columns of that region of influence and uh, then we are left with a smaller matrix uh, which is better in particular uh, this matrix may be even empty maybe even empty if uh, the bubble non-critical bubble never appears and which means then that, that the transient will be will be polynomial in this case so uh, let me show to you an example so here is a d graph and uh, the threshold graph 
corresponding to the maximum cycle geometric mean one uh, is just this two cycle. And uh, then here is uh, the threshold graph of parameter 0 0.9. Um, and at value 0 0.6, there appears this non-critical bubble, a component which doesn't contain the critical one. And uh, this is where we stop. And so the principle then is the same, that uh, there is a number T1 after which we have the weak um, CSR expansion and the uh, number T2 actually after which we have strong smash. There is also another scheme, but I will not uh, speak about it. So uh, now the results, the bounds on T1 and T2 that we have. Uh, they will uh, use a number of uh, graph theoretic parameters that uh, I'll have to introduce. Um, first of all, the size, by the size of the graph, we just mean the number of vertices, the number of nodes. Uh, then the circumference of uh, a strongly connected graph is uh, just the length, uh, the greatest length of a, a simple cycle. Um, uh, the so-called cap driver's diameter is the uh, greatest weight of uh, a cyclic walk, or as we call it, a path on the diagram. And uh, to compute the max girth of a graph which consists of several strongly connected components, as in the case of the critical graph, we first uh, compute the girth that is the, the, the length of the, the smallest length of a cycle in each strongly connected component, and then we take the maximum of this. So this is the max girth. And uh, for the max cyclicity, I don't have any picture. It's just that you compute the cyclicity of each strongly connected component and you take the maximum. And uh, there is also a parameter which we uh, call exploration penalty. Exploration penalty is, uh, well, I decided to uh, define it by means of the transient of the powers of the critical matrix. But in these powers of critical matrix, you just need to take the diagonal entries. And then the maximum, the maximum of this particular transients will give you exploration penalty. Well, whatever. Now, um, so which bounds on T1 we have? So it turns out that uh, the bounds on T1, and T1 is the uh, number, the time, after which the weak CSR expansion takes place, so that AT is equal to CSTR plus BT. Uh, so these bounds uh, turn out to be polynomial and very similar to the bounds for critical transients or the bounds for, for the uh, Boolean transients, right? So we also have Wieland, we have analog of dalmach Mendelssohn, and uh, we have some more sophisticated bounds in terms of the graph parameters that I have introduced above. So using this, all these sorts of graph parameters, you can play around and uh, uh, deduce any kind of uh, bound you wish. And um, yes, so these bounds actually use the girth. Um, if we wish to replace the max girth by max cyclicity, then we can do it. Uh, but on the cost of adding the exploration penalty. So this is the principle that we also can have similar bounds to the previous bounds, but in terms of max cyclicity. However, on the cost of adding the exploration penalty, which maybe itself 
of the order n squared because it is related to the Boolean bounds, bounds of the uh, Boolean bounds. Uh, now T2, as uh, I have said, in general it is non-polynomial. So this is the non-polynomial part, uh, not strongly polynomial at least, uh, which uses uh, the uh, logarithmic norm of a matrix. It's the logarithmic uh, kind of uh, gap, logarithmic gap be between the greatest entry and the smallest entry of a non-negative matrix. And uh, so then uh, the bounds take the following form, where um, this is a ratio. In the numerator of this ratio, we have something polynomial, something similar to the um, bounds that we obtain on, for the critical transients. Uh, but in the denominator, we have the logarithmic difference between the maximum cycle means of the matrix and the non-critical sub-matrix. Um, well, and uh, there is also some additional term, CD of P, which is cup driver distance of the non-critical part. Uh, so uh, if A has only finite entries, then the, uh, uh, the, the part of the previous bounds, which uh, is of the order n squared, can be just replaced by a constant like three or two. So uh, this is a kind of bounds that we have. And uh, then we bound uh, T of A by the maximum of T1 of AB and T2 of AB, which means that we can take any combinations of the bounds shown above. And so this is, uh, this is how we obtain this. Uh, so both uh, T1 of AB and T2 of AB use bounds on the cycle removal threshold and uh, Perhaps the definition of cycle removal threshold will be the last topic that I will talk about because I probably have something like five minutes. Do I? Uh, five or six? Six. Six. Okay. So let it be six. Uh, right. So cycle removal threshold. Uh, so uh, you remember that uh, both the bounds of so bounds on T one of A B were just polynomial while the bounds on, on T2 of AB had a polynomial component. Uh, it is uh, reasonable to guess that uh, this is due to the connection of uh, Max algebra with uh, that uh, graph-theoretic Boolean problem, which was uh, well studied. In particular, uh, you have a chapter in the book by Buraldi and Reiser. Uh, but actually, uh, we were not able to use that connection directly here. So what we did instead was to consider the um, uh, problem of cycle removal from a walk. Uh, so suppose that you have a walk uh, that uh, connects I to J and goes through some nodes of a, a subgraph G. Uh, then, uh, so the uh, cycle removal threshold is, is the um, least number t, such that uh, for any walk that uh, connects uh, some node i to some node j and uh, goes through the um, uh, subgraph g with length greater than or equal to t, um, there exists a walk v that connects to each other the same uh, pair of nodes and has length less than or equal to t. And moreover, uh, this length is congruent to the length of the initial walk. 
uh, modula certain number L, and uh, it is obtained from the initial walk by means of removing the cycles from that walk. So you had a walk, and uh, you remove cycles from that walk um, in such a way that it um, still has the same essential properties, and uh, the length is congruent to the length of uh, initial walk, modulo some good number. So this is the idea. And um, so uh, the cycle removal and replacement technique uh, stems from the following elementary application of the pigeonhole principle. That actually if you have m integers, uh, then there always exists a subset of this number of integers such that the sum of integers over this subset only is a multiple of m. And uh, so uh, this uh, elementary observation was first used by Hartmann and Arguelles uh, for, uh, to derive some transient bounds. And here is uh, probably an application of that uh, uh, pigeonhole principle, um, which is the uh, most uh, easiest one. Uh, so, uh, suppose you have a walk that uh, goes from here to there, yeah. it uh, goes f uh, through a node i, and uh, then while walking along this path, you can encounter certain simple cycles, and you just notice them. And uh, the pigeonhole principle uh, stated above, the application of the, this application of pigeonhole principle uh, tells you that if the number of these cycles is greater than or equal to L, uh, then uh, uh, there is a subset of this cycle uh, that can be removed in such a way that uh, the resulting walk will have the same length uh, um, uh, modular L as the initial walk. And uh, so then this helps you to bound uh, the length of a walk uh, such that this uh, cycle removal cannot be performed. So as you know that the number of cycles is um, uh, not greater than L minus 1, uh, you can bound the length by L minus 1 times CR, where CR is circumference. It is the greatest uh, length of a cycle. Uh, in the graph, and uh, on top of that, you also have uh, elementary acyclic paths uh, connecting uh, your cycles to each other, and also there are paths connecting cycle to the node of i through which you have to go, and that node i to another cycle, and uh, so you see that the number of those paths is L plus 1. And so that's, that's how you get the term L plus 1 multiplied by the cup driver's distance. And so you get um, a bound on that uh, uh, parameter that we call the cycle removal threshold. And um, these bounds on cycle removal threshold are actually more important because they lead to Willen's bound and uh, dalmach mendelssohns bound, uh, but I'll not tell you how they are obtained. It is uh, more involved, and uh, the proof is uh, non-trivial. Uh, and so here's, for instance, a connection of uh, T1 of AB with the uh, cycle removal threshold. So you see that it is uh, cycle, almost the same as cycle removal threshold, but you 
or you also subtract certain things from it, so it's even less. So that's why you obtain Wieland and Dalmage-Mendelssohn in particular. And if you, but if you have a non-trivial exploration penalty, then you have to add it. So, so is the uh, connection between cycle removal threshold and T1 of AB. So this is how these bounds are obtained on T1 of AB. Uh, now, uh, concerning the bounds on uh, T2 of AB, uh, the connection is here. So here we have this uh, cycle removal threshold and uh, expression like this. Expression like this, uh, from which uh, the bounds that we obtained on the T2 of AB can be deduced by means of um, certain elementary arithmetic operations. So that from that we, ha we can deduce this by means of elementary arithmetics. Um, yes, so these are T2 of AB. And so, as I said above, T bounds for T1 of AB and T2 of AB can be combined. So, for instance, if a matrix has uh, non-zero entries only, uh, then we can combine the Wieland bound uh, with the bound uh, involving, uh, which is of, the, of this form. Yes, so just three uh, norms of A, three logarithmic norms of A, divided by logarithmic difference between uh, lambda of A and lambda of B. Or something more sophisticated, if you want. And so uh, we can perform various kinds of uh, combinations like this. And uh, on top of that, uh, there is a, a topic of full CSR expansions, uh, in which, uh, so remember, First, we, um, we had a critical graph from which we can obtain uh, the first uh, C, S, and R uh, terms. Uh, then we zero out the corresponding rows and columns, and uh, we uh, look for a critical graph of what remains, and we can do the same. We can do this uh, C2, S2, R2 again, and we can proceed. We can proceed until we get something cyclic. And so this gives rise to uh, CSR expansions. This gives rise to CSR expansions, the bound for which is basically T1. So this is another variation on the same topic. So, uh, yes. Um, so there is some discussion. Yes, so for instance, can the bounds for T1 of AB be as good as the bounds for, for the periodicity of critical rows and columns? and other, other ways uh, to um, derive this kind of bounds um, stemming from maybe non-negative algebra techniques. So that's all. Questions or comments? Yeah. So you like, in your model, you assumed a directed graph, right? Yeah. So, but it seems to me even if like instead of a directed graph, I have a like undirected graph, yeah. most of your results will be will still be valid. Am I right or wrong? Uh, well, undirected graph, if you regard it as directed graph in which uh, you have both directions, probably. Well, uh, we have um, a directed graph because it uh, corresponds to matrices, right? So we start with matrix. We associate a D graph to it. And uh, so uh, there you have to be directed. 
you go from I to J in matrix, you have entry AIJ. But if you have undirected graph, uh, then uh, to it, you, you can think of, uh, the, uh, of it as directed graph, which has both directions, right? And uh, you can still associate a matrix and do the same. So, yeah. but, uh, so my question was, so you are talking about like a bi-directed graph. So like to be more, more specific, for example, you are talking about this max balancing theorem. Uh, um, sorry, I don't understand. What so, like, so, so, yeah. so, so you're saying like if I, instead of having an undirected graph, mm -hmm. I have a bi-directed graph. Mm -hmm. So bi-directed is what you are describing. Mm -hmm. I agree with what you are saying. Yeah. Bi-directed things are not going to change. So my question was specific to undirected graph, mm -hmm. where I cannot assign a direction. So like to, to be more specific, for example, mm -hmm. you were talking about this max balancing theorem, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're saying like, for each cut, mm -hmm. yeah. like this direction and this direction, they are having the same weight, right? Mm -hmm. But assume in that case, I don't have these directions. Yeah, yeah. And then it's probably, uh, I mean, it's just balanced. It's probably balanced uh, automatically, I guess, because what you have in one direction, you also have in the other direction. So probably it's uh, it doesn't make sense. Right? So to, uh, this thing only makes sense in the directed case. Yeah. Quick one, Sergey. You, you balance for T1, AB, yeah. and you're putting up the results, you were saying B is then either gotten by the Nactigal or by the Hartmann Argelis. Yes. Okay. And then the T2AB explicitly involved B in the expressions of balance. Uh, yeah. yeah. When you combine them into balance with T of A, are they specific? Of course not, it doesn't matter. So. No, no, it's, uh, it's, a good, it's a good question. Uh, actually, it was an effort. Uh, to prove that uh, all these kind of combinations uh, are actually work also for the Hartmann-Argelis expansion, which is uh, less trivial, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so for uh, Nachtigall it is more straightforward, but for uh, Hartmann-Argelis it is not straightforward, but it is true. So the results, all, all the combinations hold for Hartmann-Argelis as well. Uh, but uh, I also mentioned the third scheme, which I didn't want to explain and uh, for that uh, third scheme you have to be more careful and the results are slightly worse. And is T2 of AB when you use Hartmann Argelis you typically get a better outcome? Is T2 of AB typically lower? Yes, it's that the bounds with Hartmann Argelis are just better than the bounds with Martigal. Thank you, Sergey.